0: Welcome to Behold, the podcast where we turn our all-seeing eye to the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who's we? Well, I'm your host, Andrew, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Mick.
1: <laughs> Evening.
2: Well, that's all we've got time for this week, but...
0: <laughs> Wait, but what was that mysterious voice from out of nowhere as well? Ah. Why, it's semi-regular guest Graham!
2: Hello
1: everyone, yes, I'm back. Is semi-regular a description
2: of Graham, or his description of his appearances?
0: It could very well be both.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sort of get into a discussion about my intestinal health um, (laughs) here. I am occasionally on this podcast, though.
0: Yes, and in fact, you're on to discuss something that you uh, raised on another podcast we did together.
2: Yeah, the the boundaries between realities have become porous recently because Andrew was recently on Pop Screen, the gig show podcast that I run where we look at a different film either starving or about a pop star every fortnight. Uh, we were doing Dick Tracy and we were talking about that strange blip in the early 90s where Hollywood responded to the enormous success of Batman and said, clearly... People must be absolutely wild for 1930s pulp heroes. There can be no other explanation for this.
0: Yeah, it's so mad. In the space of like six years, we got a Phantom film, a Zorro film, a Dick Tracy film. And of course, the subject of today's show, uh, not the spirit as I've written down, Okay, there's probably going to be a lot of my notes that accidentally say The Spirits, but it's not. It's The Shadow today.
2: Yes.
1: It's almost like The Spirit's a sort of copyright-friendly version of The Shadow, isn't it?
2: It's almost like The Spirit is aptly haunting you.
0: <laughs> I think that's given far too much credit to Frank Miller. Yeah. <laughs> anyway this is, this is not on, that man. film this is a very different film about a very different character who also fights crime and wears a suit in a fedora. horror yes so this is the 1994 film directed by russell mulcahy uh, written by david keep and based on the character created by walter b gibson
2: Indeed, yes. And is this normally around the time sorry to preempt your hosting abilities, Andrew, but is this normally about the time where you ask what familiarity we have with the shadow? Because that could be a short section this week.
0: No, that this is good, I'm glad you preempted me. This is kind of moving towards my eventual goal of everyone just being able to do the podcast by themselves while I have a little nap in the corner. <laughs> But, yeah, so so what is our vision? We're, and we're having Andrew replaced it? by an AI. Yes. Please, no no AI could pronounce words the way I do.
1: That's true. <laughs> that's true. Which is one of the reasons why we're having you replaced by one. Well, especially, with the new, especially with the new Aquaman film around the corner.
0: Oh, that's going to be a time... Anyway, The the Shadow. Does anyone have any deep insight on The Shadow?
1: I I think I read a sort of compilation. But I think it was a sort of post-film compilation that was done as a sort of homage to the original by sort of modern writers. And it might even have been a compilation of other lesser well-known Comic books, you know, like The Question and things like that.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 Or could have been the comic book adaptation of the film based on the radio show, based on the pulp novels, based on the radio show.
2: <laughs> that that was an interesting thing that I discovered because The Shadow is kind of like the reverse Modesty Blaze, isn't it? Modesty Blaze began as a comic strip, but everyone remembers the pulp novels. Whereas The Shadow seems to have begun as a series of pulp short stories, but for some reason everyone misremembers it either as a radio show or a comic book.
0: Well, if we want to get into it, very technically, The Shadow did actually start as a radio show. Ah. So in that case, we
1: don't need to do the podcast then, because we do adaptations of comic books.
0: All right, (laughs) Look, we've, we've stretched the remit before. This is going to be another one.
1: Yes, yes, we did The Spirit, as if it was a film.
0: <laughs> so, yes, The Shadow, then, he was actually created for the radio show Detective Story Hour in 1930, which was basically a radio version of a magazine that did, like, pulp detective stories. But for that, The Shadow was just created like as a sort of host character so just a guy who would introduce the stories but like because he ended up being popular they then thought well you know if people like detective story hour for the shadow maybe we should put him in the magazine as well so that's why a year later walter b gibson then started writing stories for him in detective story magazine which then became the shadow magazine which then looped back around to the shadow having his own radio show
2: where he had a significant voice artist didn't he
0: yep yep i assume you are talking about the man himself one
2: <laughs> it? shadow on the video <laughs>
1: This, this is why we're getting the AI sorted out. Well, is a
0: few now, what I'm doing. When it in
1: an AY with an AI.
0: Is starting a very funny joke where I say the name of a different, the shadow actor to Orson Welles. Ah. From starting to say the name Frederick, then realizing that I forgot what his last name was. Because <laughs> I only half read it on the Wikipedia article. <laughs> but yeah, voiced by Orson Welles. Yes. Unicron himself. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Came at it from the other angle. Yeah. (laughs) But yes. So as has been pointed out, the Shadow, not in fact a comic book character. But I kind of feel like he basically counts just from the fact that he has been such a huge influence on like a lot of comic book characters specifically some kind of flying fox man
2: (laughs) that and the fact that if you started a podcast dedicated to big screen adaptations of radio shows uh, yeah you'd sort of run out of material fairly quickly wouldn't you
0: you would. Definitely more of a limited series than that one.
2: Yeah. As far as I'm aware, there's never actually been a Hollywood blockbuster based on Claire in the community from Radio 4.
1: No, and as, as far as my recollections go, there's never been a big screen adaptation of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, either.
2: Ha!
0: Still, we can all hold out hope, though, for the gritty Netflix Archer's series.
1: Agro <laughs> <laughs> in Ambridge.
2: <laughs> yes. I mean, The Archers is famously the longest running uh, radio show in the world, I think. I sincerely doubt that a Netflix adaptation of it could match it in that regard. It could be the longest running netflix show ever and go to four cvs
0: whoa steady. whoa easy <sighs> but ed we should probably talk about the shadow yes yeah. so yes like i say the shadow was a huge influence on batman i mean like bob kane has even said that like the first batman story was very heavily based on a Shadow story called Partners of Peril and it being Bob Kane, I assume what he means is, I ripped off the story wholesale and just changed all the character names. <laughs> so, yeah. So so in a lot of ways, I think the Shadow gets roped in with a lot of superhero stuff because he basically is one of the first, I like, guess in a way, superheroes, although he technically doesn't have powers except for when he does, Mm. yeah because that's a that's yes, a weird that, thing
1: that that that's that sort of foreshadowing one of my niggles with this film because i don't surprisingly have many for a mid 90s comic book movie
2: mm i'm biting my tongue because i feel like Andrew should probably synopsize it soon but i will yes. uh, I, I i will say i'm with you Mick this is surprisingly good stuff mm
0: So, yes, I did have a few other bits on the Shadow, but we can probably come back to those when we're talking about the film. I guess it's synopsis time. Shiver. And, as always, full spoilers ahead for the film.
1: Which is nearly 30 years old.
0: So, Lamont... Oh, my God, it is nearly 30 years old, isn't it? Yeah. You can't just say things like that, Mick.
1: I just did. Oh, oh, I can't say things like that, but you'll let me go ahead with this. (laughs) Anyway.
0: Anyway. Lamont Cranston, played by Alec Baldwin, is a brutal opium kingpin in Tibet. Uh, One day he is kidnapped by the mysterious Tulku, and under his guidance becomes a force for good instead. He also learns to cloud men's minds to control them and appear invisible, except for his shadow. Seven years later, Lamont returns to New York and begins fighting crime as the vigilante, the shadow, with the help of his network of agents, including his closest confidant, the taxi driver, Shrevy, played by Peter Boyle. Uh, Lamont also meets and falls head over heels for socialite Margot Lane, played by Penelope Ann Miller. However, he pushes her away to stop her from discovering his secret identity because, uh, She's also just telepathic.
2: Yeah, just just like
0: that. As as people are. (laughs) (laughs) So later, the Tolku's other apprentice, Shiwan Khan, played by John Lone, also arrives in New York. Unlike Lamont, Khan refused to give up his evil ways and murdered the Tolku. He now wants to follow in the footsteps of his ancestor Genghis Khan and take over the world. Uh, Using his own psychic powers, she kidnaps Margot's father, Dr. Reinhardt Lane, Ian McKellen, and controls him into building an atomic bomb. He also hypnotises Margot into trying to kill the Shadow, but Lamont snaps her out of it, and they decide to team up. Uh, Margot even helps save the Shadow from Reinhardt's treacherous assistant, Farley Claymore, played by Tim Curry. And really, what did you expect, Dr. Reinhardt? (laughs) <laughs> like, it's tim curry he may as well just have a sign around his neck that says i am not to be trusted
2: it's tim curry yet in full-on in space mode as well absolutely yeah. incredible performance
0: it is how, how did that man's eyes stay inside his head
1: <laughs> apparently they don't they quite often have a runner whose who's sole job is to follow him around and pick them up
0: (laughs) so eventually the shadow discovers that Shiwan khan is hiding out in an abandoned hotel that he had hypnotized the whole in whole city into believing was an empty lot Uh, the two fight and the shadow is able to defeat khan by stabbing him in the head with a shard of mirror meanwhile margot is able to free her father and disarm the bomb Uh, in the aftermath Khan wakes up in a mental hospital to find that the part of the brain containing his powers has been removed. Uh, Lamont enters into a relationship with Margot, whilst continuing to battle evil as the shadow. And that's the end. That's the movie. Except for like a fade out on the sort of title card of the shadow, which then really focuses on his eyes, which are green eyes, but, but in the film he's got blue eyes that turn brown. That that annoyed me more than it should have. Well,
1: maybe, maybe they, maybe his eyes when he when he got given his powers, maybe his eyes got replaced by mood stones.
0: Yes, I know they kind of and, are, aren't
1: they? And so the fact that they've gone green now is to reflect that he's moved on in his uh, emotional journey because he's now in a relationship with Margot learn
2: his powers are. Very interesting, aren't they? I was particularly fascinated by the fact that every time he goes to fight crime, he gains Christopher Eccleston's nose. Yes. Yes, I noticed that.
0: Yeah, that, that bit was weird. I don't know if I liked it or not.
1: Can I just go out on a limb here on a small tangent and just say how nice it was to see the communication system from Brazil get another role?
2: Yes. Now, it's funny you should mention that because that that is the sort of the delight and the problem with these retro early 90s blockbusters in, in one go. Because it, it's a great scene, you know, it's a whole scene which follows a message down a tube across the city. You know, as Mick says in The manner of Brazil, it also harks ahead to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, the scenes where that would swing through the city. Okay. Um So, you know, there's a lot of good things to say about it, but it is still a scene which is saying to an early 90s audience, wouldn't it be great if you could send messages instantly? <laughs> It's like Dick Tracy's watch all over again. It is rooted in things that people in the 1930s would be right to find absolutely incredible. But that th- there seems to be no attempt to take into account the fact that these are now quite commonplace. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very much depending on you to buy into liking just that whole aesthetic, isn't it?
1: Oh, oh, although that said was I got the feeling that this was very, although it was a 90s movie it was very much set in period
2: oh definitely yeah yeah I
1: suppose well, I think you could... from that point of view you know yeah
0: yeah but I mean it's basically it's relying on the audience to say oh yes that is a cool thing to have in the 1930s yeah rather hmm. than just going yeah but I've got stuff that can do that now like I've got a phone
1: Yeah, and I I think it was interesting that Graham mentioned earlier about on the back of the success of um, Batman, because Mm -hmm. this does feel like another journey through Gotham, through (laughs) Tim Burton's Gotham, whenever we get any aerial shots of New York.
2: Well, yeah, the the most overt influence that these movies take from Batman, uh, as Andrew noted on the Dick Tracy episode of Pop Screen, is that every single post production studio in early nineties Hollywood had a big button marked Danny Elfman score, and they <laughs> just jabbed and jabbed and jabbed it and never stopped. <laughs> But even even
1: the sort of architecture on the scale of the New York that we see is mm. reminiscent of those Gotham shots.
2: Completely. Yeah, I mean I I remember when the first trailers came out for Batman Begins and there was a genuine sort of perplexity at the fact that Christopher Nolan's version of Gotham looked like an actual city that might exist somewhere. I think after Burton's Batman, for a long while, it was sort of taken for granted almost that part of the fun of a comic book movie is you get to build these crazy cities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I guess, especially because that was before Marvel took off with things mm. who were much more the bread and butter of things taking place in the real world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. I, I like all the kind of Batman stuff this film does. I think, though, this is kind of what shot it in the foot and like made it. Because I think it bombed quite considerably when it came out.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's just, it's, it's what I like to think of as the John Carter effect, <laughs> where you've got something that you're doing a very faithful adaptation of something... It was a huge influence on everything that came out after it.
1: But no one but actually it recognizes it. it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but because you've already had so much stuff come out after it based on it, it then like gets misinterpreted as being something very derivative.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And again,
0: the film doesn't help it by actually being very derivative of the 1989 Batman film.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think nowadays watching it, you can definitely see those elements. And you can also see a lot of elements where it harks ahead to movies. I mean, I mentioned Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies, and Raimi was like briefly attached to this, I
0: believe. Well, I think actually a bit more than briefly, he was going to uh, direct a shadow film and, like, did a whole script for it. But I believe what happened is that kind of he got taken off it and then basically just took that script and used that to make Dark Men.
2: Yes. Yeah. Ah, right. And there's there's a lot of sort of things in this that do strangely feel more like a Sam Raimi film than a Russell McCarthy film. There's the... There's those swinging through the city shots. There's the fact that it's written by David Kep, uh, who would go on to write the first of Raimi's Spider-Man films. There's the fact that every time Alec Baldwin's hair gets wet, he starts to look like emo Spider-Man from Spider-Man 3.
1: The complete lack of Duran Duran, which is more in tone with Sam Raimi than
2: Russell Mulcahy's work. Oh, yeah see what you mean yeah because he was one of the original mtv brats wasn't he yeah 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 it's interesting and it also begins with another hark ahead which is that uh, at the start i briefly wondered if The Shadow was maybe the founder of the Legion of Shadows. Maybe that's why they got that name. It is very Batman Begins, that opening. It is,
1: yeah.
0: It is. He does seem very kind of like Ra's al Ghul. I will say that opening, though, is probably my biggest problem with the film.
2: I agree, but... Yeah, let, let's see if we're coming at it from the same perspective, because I do have a couple of problems with that.
0: Yes, yes, I will just uh, step back a moment, say that, broadly, I think I'm in the same camp as you two is. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was,
0: like, I do very much like that kind of pulpy aesthetic. Kind of very, I said a similar thing on the Dick Tracy episode, mm-hmm. and just, it's it's a fun film. Yeah. Like, everyone does a good performance, like... Alec Baldwin, especially like his big manic laugh that he does every time the shadow appears.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, Penel- Penelope Ann Miller. It's not- Margot actually gets to do things. That was quite nice to see.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, Tim Curry is Tim Curry.
2: I mean, the fact that you have this double act running through a bit of Tim Curry and Ian McKellen, I mean, what a casting coup that is. Yeah.
0: Really, it's it's a bit of a stacked cast, isn't it? Definitely.
1: It is, one, it, is, it is one of those films that has a cast where you go, how did this bomb?
2: Yeah, I, I suppose maybe slightly too many of them either got famous or have their defining role after this. Like when Khan first appears in New York, his first task, which don't get me wrong, is very evil, is to get Mr. Neelix to shoot himself. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: I have a problem with Khan's power as well. hmm Because Khan's power, in order for it to be a tool of evil, requires yeah. a lot of inference on behalf of the victim. I give you the taxi driver mm. who has for his fare. Mm-hmm. Now, the suggestion that calm places in the taxi driver's mind is merely you require fuel. It's the taxi driver's own impulses that make him then drive headlong into a petrol tanker. Yeah, that's a bit of a leap, isn't it? Surely, if if you were driving a car and someone, (laughs) by the power of suggestion, someone said to you, you need fuel, you'd just forget about them and drive off to a fuel station.
0: I mean, yeah. he's a New York cabbie, so I assume he was, like, teetering on the edge anyway. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> because you do have Peter Boyle as the main cabbie in this, who was in Taxi Driver, so yeah. it's, uh, it's a strange thing for this film to be in conversation with, but it is. I had a problem with Kant's backstory in that he repeatedly says... That he is the last descendant of Genghis Khan, and if yeah. there's one fact most people <laughs> know about Genghis Khan, it's that that isn't quite true, is it?
0: Ah, yeah. see, I, I don't know if I liked that more or the fact that the the tomb of Mongolian Emperor Genghis Khan apparently has Latin on it. <laughs> You know, Latin, that language that all the old-timey stuff was written in.
1: Well, maybe that just goes to show just how far Khan's influence spread.
2: Yeah, yeah. That would be quite a good end for Khan, the character, wouldn't it? If he found out that actually everyone is a descendant of Genghis Khan. And he's just depressed by that. He's like, oh man, I thought I was special. No.
0: (laughs) Yeah, guess I'll get an admin job.
1: <laughs> Do you know who I am? I am the last descendant of Khan. Yeah, if you could just take a ticket and sit over there.
0: Yes. <laughs> Do you think he's getting it confused with being the last emperor of China? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> he could be a thousand different things, couldn't he? He's more likely to be the last King of Scotland, the last Shadow Puppet, the last of the Mohicans. The, all of these things are more likely than him being the last descendant of Genghis Khan.
1: He could be the last of the International Playboys.
2: He could be the last of the Summer Wine. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, that tomb did look a lot like a bathtub.
0: <laughs> but go- John John Lone, at- very charming.
2: Yes, he he does he does good work in this, despite his character's silliness.
1: Going back to that opening scene, though, that opening um mm. c- c- ceremony, if you want to call it that, trial by combat. How cool yeah. was that knife for nineteen nineties T-
2: CGI? I would agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'd say especially compared to some of the other bits even in this film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but Andrew, you were mentioning some problems with that opening.
0: Yes, because I think it just establishes a lot of fundamental problems with the shadow as a character. Mm. Which I mean also want to point out like that was wholly invented for the film, like in the Pop novels and radio show. There's nothing about him being like a weird drug kingpin who changes his mind.
2: Yes,
1: it it it's it's almost like that opening scene is we need to give this character a redemption arc, but we don't want to spend too much time doing it. No, or indeed
2: any <laughs> yes. time on it. just it, basically <laughs> someone goes up to him and says, "You could try not being an opium babin and he's like, "Whoa, hang on, holy shit, what?" That's an option. It's not
0: even that. It's the treat he gets kidnapped by the Tolk. Because I mean, first of all, we should mention in the opening scene, he literally like murders one of his closest allies just to also kill James Hong. Yeah. Which is also, why would you want to kill lovely James Hong? Yeah. (laughs) He then gets kidnapped by the Tolku, who goes, "Yeah, but what if you were good instead?" And then it just cuts to, like, literally a wall of text going. And then seven years later, he went back to New York.
1: It, it's almost like, and I, I don't know whether they pro- possibly dispensed with it, because it had been done to death by the Star Wars movies by this point. But it, it almost feels like it needs a Flash Gordon Republic serial scroll to give you the backstory.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, sort of Indiana Jones style. He is the end of the last adventure thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's just, it's so weird because it means, like, we're just supposed to go from this character is, like, genuinely a terrible person. Like, Mm. he's not just a a little bit iffy. He's a full-on, like, Opium Warlord. <laughs> yes. To just, I mean, I think there's even a scene where Margot literally says, "Yeah, but that's all in the past now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like why? Like, why are we supposed to, you know, be behind the shadow? But then, like, literally, all the criminals he fights were just supposed to go, "Yeah, you, you get him, you get those wrongins."
1: And yeah. do you think? Do you think Margot Lane was purposefully a portmanteau of? Superman's love interest and the actress who at that point had most famously portrayed her.
2: Oh that's good, yes.
0: Well no, because she was invented for the, the radio program in the 30s.
2: Nor was she.
1: In the original yeah. Alright. Actually, the interesting,
0: you know the radio show actually like invented and changed a lot of stuff. Like in the original this is the bit that surprised me in the original Pulp novels. Uh, the Shadow isn't actually Lamont Cranston.
2: That is quite a big change. Yeah, yeah. He's,
0: like, he's some completely different guy. And Lamont Cranston is like a separate character who is just like this billionaire playboy. And then the Shadow just kind of like uses his identity sometimes.
2: That's good. I don't think I've seen the superhero movie where the superhero gets their secret identity using... Identity fraud. I think that's quite a fun idea.
0: It is. And especially would work well in this film where the shadow is just the worst person. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I do agree with Andrew that that whole drug lord thing is skated over so strangely. And it means that you have to, like, you really have to work to get on the Shadow's side here. Fortunately, well, it, I think Baldwin is about up to the job, but it's still a, yes. a self-defeating choice.
1: It, it's like an anti-save-the-cat moment, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes. It's like a, a kills-the-cat moment. <laughs> the kick-the-cat-out-of-the-window moment right yeah. at the start of the film, yeah.
0: Yeah, That's just, and it's so weird to me that there's not like a bit in that opening scene... Where he has even like the smallest bit of like goodness
2: Remorse?
0: yeah or or yeah. something because surely like when you meet the tolku there's that implication that you know he's picked Lamont because there's part of him that wants to be a good guy but he just gives in to his own worst instincts mm. so sh- surely we need to see so like How basically see that? like why is this guy worth redeeming pretty much yeah.
1: There yeah. also doesn't seem to be much in the. It's not like. It's not even like he shows any kind of fear, really, in the face of the Tulku. Mm.
2: He's,
1: he's like. This whole idea of you've got to get behind the protagonist, we've got to show him some re. We've got to show the audience some reason why we like this guy. There's nothing. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing. He's not even. When faced with an animated dagger that can bite, he's not even a little bit, like, sort of frightened. You don't feel sorry for him.
2: Yes. I can sort of see a bit of where this is coming from, because even once he becomes a hero, the Shadow is not an entirely comfortable character to be around.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I think I actually... I like... The overall idea of saying, like the shadow, his whole thing of who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, is because he himself, like, has a lot of evil in his heart, yes. and just learned how to like direct that at bad guys rather than innocent people. I think it's just you either need to make it less of a jump, or actually spend like the first act of this film showing him having that redemptive birth.
2: Yes, yeah, I would agree. And I think nowadays, you know, if there was a Shadow movie made now, and I think there is scope for it, I think for all it's an old character, I don't think it's particularly dated, they would do that in the same way that the first Iron Man movie spends the first act showing you how Tony Stark goes from being this asshole arms dealer to someone you really root for but it happens, as Andrew says, it happens in the space of a scroll of text here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I think that's probably the only real big problem I have with this film, I think.
2: Yeah, I would say so, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it the rest of it, it sort of, Yes, it's got quite a few sort of stereotype trope characters in there, like the you know, the, the guys who run the museum and the security guards who failed to protect the museum and mm. the
0: And the gangsters it, who are literally like encasing someone's feet in concrete and I'm gonna chuck them off the bridge.
1: Yeah. yeah and, and the ridiculously the ridiculously overengineered beryllium sphere based
2: bomb. Um, I, I mean, while we're talking about tropey elements, part of me kind of groaned when I realised that the ending would involve diffusing a bomb. But credit where credit's due, everyone involved is going out of their way to make that fun, memorable <laughs> diffusing the bomb scene. Yeah.
1: And yet, for all that, it's still an enjoyable film with the. with, with for, for all the fact that. Quite a few of the characters are stock characters mm. um, within their roles. They, they they portray those characters admirably. There's no there's no real sort of sense of anyone falling
2: in a performance. Definitely not.
0: Yeah, I always kind of feel like some of the tropey nature that actually kind of works with the whole aesthetic that it's got going
1: on yeah yeah, yeah. well it, that, that's it I mean that I think I think that's sometimes possibly why you don't get as many pulpy heroes being adapted now into movies because the the pulp action hero did depend very much on the, the fact that good is good and evil is evil and black is white and that there is no gray gritty flawed i mean obviously you sometimes had like you know a drink problem with your hero Mm. but it was never it was never a dark drink problem it was just that that's how he fueled himself throughout his exploits
0: yeah i mean really just his problem is that he's too damn manly
1: yeah yeah that's, (laughs) that's his basic problem but um but yeah, so I think I think that's possibly why they're shied away from now, because now we have to have the fact that, you know, they're flawed. They're just one step away from being just as bad as the bad guys they're trying to defeat.
2: It's interesting, this, because on one level, Mick is right that these characters are tremendously black and white in their morality. But in another way, they can be darker and grittier than a lot of modern comic book films because their roots and you particularly see this with dick tracy but it's evidently their roots are in crime comics rather than superhero Mm. comics when there is violence in the shadow it's quite often a shade nastier and bloodier than you would expect from a modern comic book movie that wasn't like a film like the suicide squad that is deliberately going for excessive yeah. violence
0: but yeah like people... like spider-man's probably not going to lobotomize the green goblin
2: exactly there's a lobotomy people are shot they're stabbed uh the shadow is threatened with having his throat cut you know there's blood in it it, it has that sort of crime movie aesthetic and it has that crime movie comfort with violence that you don't really see anymore Mm.
0: yeah well especially because obviously a lot of comics were affected by the the comics code of authority in the 1950s
2: Mm. which
0: was very heavily stamping down on things like that because i mean even like the early batman comic strips like batman would carry a gun like he'd happily kill criminals like i know it's one really dark one way just like drops a noose down from the bat plane and just like hangs a guy Jesus. yeah yeah but ba- see this is the thing yeah, like, that's it, goes, it? well no we need a batman who's real accurate to the like, law <laughs> which law do you mean do you mean like campy 1960s adam west batman do you mean absolute psychopath original batman <laughs> There's a lot of different Batmanses.
1: Yes. My favourites are the ones in the TV series where it turns out Batman is actually Alfred the butler. <laughs> and he turns up on a push bike.
0: Yeah, there you go. If Ben Affleck doesn't want to come back, to let Jeremy Irons be Batman now.
1: <laughs> Turning up on a
2: rally. Yes. With a shopping basket on the front. <laughs> I can picture that and I like it. <laughs> but yes um, that, that's a. I think like uh, again, like Dick Tracy, like the original Batman, there is a cast here that is better than you would expect from a superhero movie made at the time when superhero movies were not necessarily big box office in the case of Dick Tracy, that cast has been obviously gathered because it's Warren Beatty and he can still call on his amazing 70s Hollywood friends to star mm-hmm. in it. In this one, I really think it's the Wells connection. It does play up the Orson Wells thing a bit. You know, there is a shootout at the end that is borrowed from the famous Hall of Mirrors scene in the lady from Shanghai. I yeah. would bet you dollars to donuts that Alec Baldwin took this on because he liked the idea of playing a role that Orson Welles had played.
0: Mm.
2: Other yeah. than Unicron.
0: Actually, would you like to know a fun fact about that Hall of movie scenes as well?
2: Please.
0: So apparently originally that was supposed to be a much longer scene and like mm-hmm. actually have. The shadow and Shiwan Khan, like having a bit more banter. Uh, but then most of the site got destroyed in an earthquake. Really? Yeah, so this is, this is just like what they could staple together from the remains.
2: It's probably. Cursed, then, because the original Lady from Shanghai mirror scene was supposed to be the intro to a very long funhouse chase scene that Harry Cohn, the head of Columbia Pictures, just cut it and destroyed it because he wanted the film to be shorter.
1: Oh, no oh so that I, explain. I, I now understand the Unicron references, by the way.
2: Oh, was that not something that... You were aware of that Orson No, Welles,
1: I, I'm, I'm of a generation before
2: Transformers. It's just such an irresistible piece of trivia, though, that Orson Welles' last screen role saw him cast wildly against type as a planet-sized object that cannot stop eating.
1: <laughs> well, it was probably either him or Brando up for the part. <laughs> yeah!
0: Oh, well, You know, as I was about to say, could you imagine Marlon Brando doing like a a Transformers thing or like a superhero movie? Which, Uh, yes, yes, I can quite easily imagine that. To be fair, I
1: probably have to because I don't think there's any kind of animation studio could afford his wages if Superman was anything to go
2: by.
0: (laughs) But yes, that's what I mean. I just completely forgot about Superman for a second.
2: (laughs) You probably forgot about it because in your memory, it's you've gone to the sensible piece of casting, which is that uh, Superman's father should be a green suitcase that can talk.
0: I, I know that's a reference to something, but I can't remember what.
2: That was Brando's suggestion on set. He said, oh, it, it doesn't make sense that aliens would look like humans. That's I should right. be a green suitcase and you should have my voice <laughs> coming from it.
1: You see, that's the kind of thing that you'd get if it was uh, David Lynch directs Superman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it is God is my witness, one day I will make sure that movie exists.
0: (laughs) Great. I can't wait until the year like 2043, where Graham's finally made it to be DC's big director and he's doing like a. a, (laughs) I don't know, like, a the Spectre film, and just arbitrarily shoves in a multiversal thing where, and here's the multiverse where Marlon Brando is a suitcase, and
1: that, that, and then there'll be the crossover between David Lynch's Superman and Noah Hawley's
2: um, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> this is more fun than having the Nicolas Cage cameo in the Flash, isn't it?
1: Anything's more fun than having the Nicolas Cage yeah. in the Flash. <laughs> Even for Nicolas Cage.
0: I don't know who I feel more sorry for about that cameo. Like, all the people in the cinema who just go, why is Nicolas Cage fighting a spider? Or, like, the <laughs> other people who then have to world-wearily explain. So, in the 90s, Tim Burton was going to direct a Superman <laughs> film. <laughs> And there had to be a giant spider in it because there's this producer, and no one really cares. <laughs> anyway, speaking of things that no one really cares about, but that I'm far too invested it in, it's the shadows' face-changing thing—good or bad—I don't know. I don't really get it. Well, I think the idea is. Like, the face he changes his face to is what the shadow looks like in the illustrations for the original pulp stories. Right. Mm. So.
1: But, right, so here's the thing, right? It obscures Cranston's face by him transforming into this other person. Mm. So why then does this alter ego face need obscuring with a scarf and a hat at a jaunty
2: angle? That is the mystery, isn't it? It's the belt and braces of superhero disguises. On <laughs> <own>. <laughs> I'll put me hat and me scarf.
1: Superman could learn from this. Yes. I'll put my glasses and me hat on. Yeah, But and just in case... <laughs>
2: <laughs> on its own, it's a pretty good idea, isn't it? Because as Mix pointed out, it, it gets rid of the boring complaint about, you know, can people in Gotham really not see that that's Bruce Wayne's lower face there? Yeah. But yeah, it, it is just slightly too strange. And the fact that no one really comments on it, everyone's just like, oh, no, his nose grows an extra foot when he's the shadow, that's just, that's normal. That's, the same thing happens to Bradley Cooper when he decides he's Leonard Bernstein, his alter ego. That's
1: The first couple of times you see it, I wondered if I'd missed a plot point and this was yes. another character. Yes. It was only, I only realised that that wasn't the case when I think it's about the second or third time he does it in the back of the car. Mm. Yeah.
0: Because the only thing I can think of is if there was maybe like an earlier version of the scripts, where they're trying to play up that fact that in the pulp stories, the Shadow and Lamont Cranston are two different people, Mm-mm. and then like have it as a reveal that actually they're the same person.
2: But it can't possibly work in a sort of star-driven Hollywood economy where You know you have paid five dollars or however much it was back then to see Alec Baldwin as the Shadow, and Mm. they they can't cheat you out of Alec Baldwin as the Shadow. Look at how annoyed people got when Iron Man three had a twist that was good and funny. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Yes.
2: (laughs) But they. So
0: so, yes. But 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 then you had Justin Hoffman as
1: Mumbles in Dick Tracy, didn't you?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And that wasn't visibly Dustin Hoffman, was it?
2: It wasn't, but there have also sort of wasn't a scene where Dustin Hoffman was wandering around without the makeup on and you would just asked to accept it. Well that's true.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you, you can't really sell a film as yeah, we've got Alec Baldwin playing this side character and the Shadow himself, yeah is just some some no name actor. No yeah, one knows who he newcomer. is. But yeah, yeah it, just, it seems like a weird extra step.
1: Mm.
2: It's worth pointing out that the film has these redundancies and these things that only make sense if you were very invested in a character whose original audience are all dead now. And yet it is still sort of fun and zippy enough that it really works, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's. It makes me sad that there was not like a sequel or anything to this.
1: And that's the thing, isn't it? It it, it feels like it could have. Almost in the. In the style of the, the old style um, Sherlock Holmes, movies. Not that it's the start of a franchise, but just per se. But just that every few years that group of crew and cast will get back together again and do another adventure but there won't be like a plan of we're going to do the Shadow and the Shadow 2 and the Shadow 3 and the Shadow 4 we'll just every now and then come out with a The Shadow versus
2: so and so Yeah and I think once you've got past the sort of rockiness of the character's origin story and the choices they made there, there is no reason why The Shadow 2 wouldn't have been an even more entertaining film, really.
0: Yeah. Well, especially because I feel like by that point, you can just go, yeah, the shadow is the shadow. What's his origin yeah. story? Don't uh, don't think about it. It's fine.
1: Yes. Oh, no. That origin story. We just told you that to wrong foot you. This is the actual origin story.
2: Your mind was fogged. Yeah. <laughs> you, ne- uh, you needed fuel. You <laughs> origin story actually there <laughs>
0: oh actually that does remind me to you know bit I did absolutely love because I thought it was just a very nice little effect mm. just the bit where he kind of brainwashes the police captain and he just kind of like sits back in his chair and sort of like disappears into the shadows a bit and all you can see is like his piercing blue eyes
2: mm. There's some lovely expressionist lighting in this movie. I like that it doesn't even... As, as soon as the powers are used, it's not even trying to go for naturalism. It's an old-style kind of film noir, yeah. diagonal stripe of light over the eyes and it looks great.
1: Yeah. And I think, actually, for the for the time it came out, the scenes where the shadow is fighting as a sort of... It knocks Mobius into a Cocked hat, doesn't it? The <laughs> yeah. wispy cloud fighting. And there's what? 20, 25, 26 years between those films? Yes.
0: Yes, that's right. Morbius, the second best special effects of <laughs> 1994.
2: <laughs> you know what scene I think is really fantastic in this? where he finds Khan's headquarters by realising that there is a spot in the city which is apparently completely bare land but no one will walk on it and he realises that Khan has hypnotised people to not see the skyscraper I think that's fantastic there's a sort of almost Alan Moore-ish psychogeographical element to that idea that I absolutely love
0: yeah, I mean, I'm sure like someone like Grant Morrison's done things like that as well. Yeah. But yeah, it is just one of those like very fun. It's almost like that idea of just, you know, you're walking through your house and suddenly you see a door and it's like it's a door that, you I swear you've never seen it before, but it must have mm. been there for years.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: But there is one thing that spoils that.
0: hmm
1: Every now and then you'll see like bits of rubbish flying across that vacant lot. <laughs> Which, of course, if it's a vacant lot, would happen. If there's a big old bloody building in the middle, it wouldn't.
2: No, what's happened is the car has left the front door open. So, the oh, and there's just a through breeze flies in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs>
0: See, it's, it's not actually even a bit of rubbish flying through. He's just got one of his warriors just like grabbing it and just like waving it, it going, Ooh! <laughs> Ooh.
1: <laughs> got a bit of fishing wire. <laughs> and he's just tugging it along.
0: <laughs> anyway, I, shall we rank this on the old list?
1: I, I think we should.
0: So, this is going to be going on our big list of films, going from A History of Violence at number one. All the way down to spawn at number fifty nine. And I've gotta say, I think this is going, going to end up a lot higher than I thought it was going to before I started watching it.
2: Same, yeah. Yeah. On the on the plus side for spawn
1: it does mean is it's getting knocked off the number fifty nine spot. That's <laughs> very true. You gotta look on the bright side, spawn.
2: So it's a solid mid-table player, The Shadow, isn't it? It is.
0: It is indeed. Uh, Just kind of scrolling through things. It will start around about the middle-ish. So at number 19, we've got The Batman. Number 20, we've got Spider-Man No Way Home. Number 21, Ant-Man. Number 22, Doctor Strange, Multiverse and Madness. 23, Shang-Chi. 24, Iron Man. 25, Blade. 26, Watchmen. 27, From Hell. 28, The Old Guard. 29, The X-Men. And 30, Blue Beetle.
2: I mean, there's some that I, I would certainly have had in a different order there, but I will say, I definitely, definitely enjoyed this more than Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness.
1: Yeah. Mainly because this is about a character that messes with your head rather than actually messing with your head.
0: <laughs> I mean, also, again, I think this, is, you... this is one of these points where I don't install my own logic because I think I'd probably say I enjoyed it more than Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but not as much as Blade. <laughs> A film which well, that, is lower down in the list.
1: And, th- and this is the problem with the list, with it having got as, as long as it has. There are films that we've put and we thought, oh, well, yeah, you know, so far we've only done Howard the Duck and Watchmen. So, of course, it's going to go in the middle.
2: I mean, well, if you're only we... going to watch two superhero movies in your life, it might as well be Howard the Duck and Watchmen, am I right? Yeah. As a, it's yeah. a
1: classic double bill. It lends itself to the... <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I mean, I'm, I'm once again staring at the ninth best superhero film we've ever seen, Black Widow.
2: <laughs> what a odd decision. But I'm I think...
1: It, I think it depends on the criteria that we're using and quite often my viewpoint is if if we can't decide whether to put one film above another or not, my question is always which of the two am I more likely to watch again without mm. someone forcing me in a sort of alec from Clockwork Orange styley? <laughs> uh, <laughs> And that that that's sometimes where it gets lifted and you know something like Black Widow it may not be as um, it may not be as cinematically adept as another entry but it might be just more fun to watch. What's
2: number 10 Andrew
0: uh, number 10 is the 1989 Batman film you know one of the most influential superhero films ever made. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but actually, I think we discussed it at the time, it's closer to 1966 Batman than it ever intended to be when you watch it back now as a modern audience. True,
2: yes. Yeah.
0: Anyway, The Shadow, I'm thinking maybe put it in kind of sandwich between Ant-Man and Doctor Strange Multiverse Madness.
2: I'll go for that,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: Okay, so the shadow is our new twenty-two. Which, yeah, cool. there you go. I guess actually proves the point of doing a show like this is that sometimes these films that are considered like the worst superhero films actually pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
2: I, I can, I can imagine reasons why it wasn't a nineteen ninety-four audience. This thing, but watch today, pretty good.
1: Yeah. And that—that's the other thing as well. There's a mood factor as well, I think, at play. Mm. You know, yeah. Like some,
0: guess, as much bit, as I like to joke about it, I think there was a big mood factor with Black Widow, mm. like especially with it, it being the kind first
2: of first post-pandemic superhero movie. We got. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 i just and, the
0: idea that I can just go to a cinema and have a nice time. Mm.
1: And you know, I, where did Zack Snyder's Justice League appear on our list?
0: low, it appears low (laughs) yeah
1: because you know, the thing is, when we came to, to doing that one we were tired and haggard after an epic battle with watching a film that should have been a TV show, had it ever been allowed to exist at all
0: I watched that film on the same day I had a Covid jab
1: and which did you enjoy most?
0: I mean, the joke was certainly <laughs> <trigger>, at least. <laughs> like, I'll take a short, sharp amount of pain over a long drawn-out beating.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear.
0: Anyway, no, we, we can't have yet another episode where I just go on another rant about the Snyder cuts so so before before I give in to the evil that lurks in my heart (laughs) that's about it from us if you want to listen to more you can find our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts and if you subscribe to the show you'll make sure you never miss an episode Uh, if you want to get in touch our email is beholpod at gmail.com and Graham if you want to get in touch with you can they even do such a thing
2: no, I'm basically the Greta Garbo of podcasting, Uh, but I've, uh, yeah, you can find links to everything I do, really. At my brand new website is Uh, I, Yeah, fancy, I'm going up in the world. Uh, It's under construction at the moment, but it will have links to pop screen podcast, my geek show reviews, my work for Byline Times, my letterboxed account, which is the most important thing that a modern creative can have and more.
0: Interesting. And this being a custom built website, I assume it's got like a big flashing banner. It's kind of a pink background with light blue text.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm trying to bring back... uh, Dial-up internet, either web design. I'm really going for the full geo cities, starfield in the background, uh, text in Times New Roman, but done in eye-searing neon yellow. You visited my Doctor Who novels website, then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it was a simpler time. It
1: was. I mean. Let's be honest, even comics don't use comics, Sam.
2: Yeah, I also like uh, the good old internet pages of your I've specially designed it so you have to wait 20 minutes for it to load if someone on your street is using the phone at the same time. Excellent.
0: Great. Well, if you are a fan of us rambling about 90s websites and our favourite font choices, <laughs> personally, mine's Helvetica. I'm an aerial aerial,
1: bold kind of guy myself.
0: Aerial rounded.
2: I was born a Garamond man and I'm going to die a Garamond man.
1: Aerial rounded because it reminds me of JNT era Doctor Who titles.
2: And and that's the point in its favour, right? Yeah. Okay, okay.
0: So yeah, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommend us <laughs> to a friend. Um, to tell us what your favourite yeah, font especially is. Especially if you don't want
1: to keep those friends.
0: <laughs> it's the best way for us to cross the show and reach new listeners.
1: If not as people.
0: <laughs> no, if, if anything, we're shrinking as people.
1: <laughs> Every time we watch another film, another little part
2: of us dies inside. <laughs>
0: I still think we haven't recovered from the spirits yes.
2: I can't wait to hear you guys talk about the spirit
0: <laughs> I think it's just half an hour of us going what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> eggs <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's everything until next time i Andrew
2: I've been Mick and I've been Graham.
0: Silver so and thanks for listening.
2: You mad fools.